Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, this is Doc Huffpower, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Dear Doc Podcast. Of course, I'm coming to you live here from my, my studio in Alvin, Texas, and you know, by the magic of the interwebs, I'm joined by Mr. Corey Pinagor, owner of Call Force. Corey, how the heck are you, and uh, how's, how's Corona been treating you, my friend? <laughs> well, I don't think many people in Utah are convinced that Corona exists. I think we have the uh, current highest infection rates. That's a conversation for another day, but it's, oh, a, no it's a pleasure to be here. Um, we've known each other for years, so it's awesome to link back up to chat and discuss things. Absolutely. And, you know, a, a lot of people, um, they ask if I, if I get paid to do these things, I'm not really getting paid to, to do uh, any kind of commercial or anything with you, but I know that you guys have some new stuff that you're doing in your, uh, your business model. And I wanted to touch on that. And I also want people to know, I do use you in my, um, in, in my practice. Now, if anything, I do get a small discount on that, but I've been using you for years. So, uh, man, talk to us about, uh, first of all, what exactly it is that you do with, um, with call for us. What, what niche within a practice do you fill? And um, then we're going to go on to um, not just how you do that, but how you guys have expanded to really fill that niche out uh, in, in a more significant way. So tell us how you got yeah. into this to begin with and what call force does. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question. So I'm pretty young, um, and years ago, my aunt, um, she, was, she was newly divorced, and she moved from San Francisco or the Bay Area out to Utah just kind of to reset life, switch up the scene a little, and she became the executive assistant for the CEO of Weave. Okay. And she um, called me probably a couple months into the job. And was like, hey, you know, we've got some, we need some help cleaning out some closets. And I was, I was a student at Brigham Young University at the time. And any side money was great money. Right. And she's like, hey, you can come up and do it whenever. We'll pay you 500 bucks to clean out the closet. Which to me was like, holy smokes, I'm going to have a 401k by the time I'm done. How big is, how big is this closet? That's, that would be my first question. <laughs> Well, that was the, that was the asterisk that I didn't really think through at that time. Um, so the, I mean, the closet was pretty large and more so it was full with thousands and thousands of parts. So what happens is, and this is in early 2016, we've, when a customer canceled back then requested the phones back and right. the customer would mail the phones back in some form of boxes the problem was that came in every different shape. They were tossed into one box. They were tossed into separate box. They were wrapped correctly. So they basically said, every return that we get, we're going to toss into this room. And that was my job to sort through. Corey, did you happen to um, open up a box that had six phones in it? Um, never mind. That just, never mind. <laughs> Highly mangled. <laughs> well, it may, may have come from Alvin, Texas. Is all um, 
that's 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 about when I canceled. So, <laughs> so anyway, so um, you cleaned out these well, these uh, phones, and then you you sold them on eBay and made made a fortune, right? I I I wish I made a fortune, but <laughs> um, so the I mean the first task was purely to clean the closet and like get it organized. I mean, it looked like. It, an earthquake had happened because people were literally just tossing the boxes in and cords were mangled, phones were mangled. So the first step was just organizing how many 410s do we have? How many 310s do we have? How many extra headsets do we have? And almost inventory and assess the quality of the equipment. Okay. Um, From there. So one night to kind of really dive into the story Jared Rodman, who is the COO, comes by, and it's it's like midnight or 1230, and his response is like, dude, what the hell are you doing here, and who are you? And I'm like, I, I'm just here to clean the closet. <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, I, I admire the dedication. When you're done cleaning the closet, if you want a part-time job while you're going to school, just let me know. And keep in mind here, at this point, I was doing catering. And there is, it is much better to work for a technology company than it is to cater wildfire fighters. I, I loved doing it, but it was an extreme time grab. It was very physical. I just, and so I'm, I'm just imagining you out in the front lines where they've done a clear cut and you're serving up rack of lamb, you know, with the little chef hats on the, on the tips. I, I'm guessing that's not, what <laughs> you wish it was that glamorous. <laughs> It was unfortunately it was not that glamorous, but we would have to leave at two a.m. to serve breakfast at five, and then we'd have to drive back, and then I'd go to class. Yep. That's, so just it, it was it was nothing conducive for. It wasn't good for normal life. Um, so I became kind of the office manager. I restocked the snacks. Again, I was not doing anything glamorous. And eventually, to kind of go farther down the story, I, I realized that there was some areas within Weave where we were spending significantly more money than we should, mm-hmm. i.e. being oftentimes we have people who would sign up for Weave and two weeks in realize, okay, my modem, my internet connection, I'm not in the right area for Weave, and they would ship these phones back. Mm-hmm. And those phones, stock were brand new, no labels ever taken off them, and they would sit and there the important were, thing what, to polycoms? realize here is that there, there were what polycoms? Yep. Mm-hmm, the polycom. That's an expensive phone. That's a whole yeah. Lot the polycom. And the important thing to remember here is Weave was buying those cash on the upfront, and just hoping that the customer would would, would use the system long enough that it would justify the expense. Okay, so no setup fees. <laughs> <laughs> and so eventually I said, well, what if we get these A quality returns that are literally untouched? And what if we resend those out? What if we reset them, professionally clean them and resend them out? And so our first month in doing that doc, instead of buying new phones, we saved $198,000 in cost. I believe it. By actually professionally requesting them back. And giving them the boxing, the packaging, the equipment to return the phones so that we actually got a quality product back. We could refurbish it and send it back out instead of getting the Doc Hoff power products back. That's right. Now, now admit it. You did this just so that they wouldn't stick you in the closet again. 
<laughs> Unfortunately, I was still in the closet refurbishing the phones. <laughs> and and so, what what were you going to um, school for at this time, Corey? Uh, because you know this this seems like some high level entrepreneurial thinking for a college kid. Yeah, I mean it's a good question. Um, so I was studying economics. I'm a horrible student. You do not want me taking any test in your behalf. Um, but for me. I feel like I see opportunity of quick turnarounds well of just blatantly we're losing money. And as a kid, I grew up making my money by selling my parents extra stuff on eBay. So if my mom had a piece of exercise equipment she hadn't used, it was like, hey, mom, can I sell this and can I make 10%? Mm -hmm. And so I think it was kind of very up my alley of what I had done. Absolutely. One, one of these days, we'll have to talk about uh, my misspent youth and some of my business ventures when I was a kid. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so, so you, you come to this company, you, you, you start off cleaning a closet, and um, you end up as the office manager, then you save the company hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. So um, how did this how did this turn into you owning you know, call force? Yeah. So obviously that started a conversation where I was given a lot of a a significant amount more of trust and autonomy. So basically they said, Hey, we'll pay you X per hour. It was significantly more go find holes and cracks within the company and plug them and report back to us once a month on how much money we're saving and how we're doing, which was an awesome, awesome job. And I'm really grateful. So there's a reason that you canceled in 2016. The service wasn't the best. No, it, it, and the it, telecom honestly, solution I think, was. I think you guys hit a, um, a plateau or tableau, I should say, where you, you had more users than you had the ability to support. And it uh, turned into a, one of these finger pointing games where, oh, is there the ISP? Oh, no, it's the phone company. And I just got tired of it. And I realized exactly what was happening. But in fact, uh, whenever you first started your company, you and I had a, a long conversation about um, making sure that you could outgrow the people that you uh, you were going to be supporting. I don't know if you remember that conversation or not. But uh, yeah. oh, I. <laughs> so, so anyway, and something important. Yeah, no, and it brings up the point of so October. November 2016 come around and Weave was heavily funded by very large, successful venture capital companies. And the board came to them and said, hey, we are burning millions of dollars more a month than we expected for the amount of return that we're getting. Mm -hmm. So you need to cut 40% of your staff to reduce how much you're spending or you guys need to leave your jobs. And this is to the founders. And so the conversation obviously was, well, let's not lose our jobs and let's keep, you know, let's cut 40% of the staff. Right. So December 1st or November 1st, 2016, um, they lay off 40% of the company and they decide to lay off their recall solutions division. Hmm. And that is what became call force. And instead of just laying the entire company off, Brandon and Jared said, Hey, if you want to take it, you can, 
We'll charge you a nominal amount of money. We'll give you the customers. We'll give you the employees. We just don't want to let this float into thin air and we don't have the time nor the resources to sell it. Okay. So you're sitting here and you now have a, um, just an amazing company that's uh, de novo, uh, lots of potential, but you're still a broke college kid. So from there, how did you build this? Well, <laughs> we thought it would be a lot simpler than it was. So when we started, we, we budgeted on our whiteboard and I think we drew about four numbers on it. And we decided that we'd quickly be rich from this solution, which has unfortunately turned not to be true. Um, but we actually, the only reason we worked, because you said it right, Doc, as that we were broke college students and the concept of pouring $100,000 into an idea when you're 22 years old is ludicrous. Right, horrifying even. And so we actually... Yeah, so we realized, and I don't think I've ever told this to anyone before, so really good question, is we realized that previous recall solutions, we've had not been billing the customers. So there was about $56,000 of accounts payable or you know, accounts receivable that were owed to Weave Recall Solutions us. And so we went out there to the customers and said, hey, you haven't paid your bill for six months. Mm-hmm we're willing to negotiate. And so I think we were able to raise like 20 to $35,000, no, 20 to $30,000 in cash from doing nothing. I mean, we were just left in the fortunate position. So Casey and I are my business partner. We both put in a thousand dollars to start. Mm-hmm. And we thought that would get us off the ground and off to being a $10 million company, which was not true. <laughs> and so we, the only reason we made it farther and were able to survive is because of that 20, 30, 20 or $30,000 doc. Yep. Well, you know, I, I guess you were a better student than your test showed. <laughs> very, very, and, and not trying to get it too serious. It's interesting. Luck is We've been very lucky, and I think the only thing that's allowed us to be lucky consistently or multiple times is that we worked really hard and that we tried to hit the door down so many times to make the solution and the product work that eventually the right opportunities presented themselves. I mean, that opens up the idea of getting connected with Elijah, which got me connected with Glenn and you. And that's the only reason we really started to take a significant presence. Like I look at the fact that Elijah was willing to take our call mm-hmm. three and a half years ago. And I go, Holy smokes. I don't know where, who would have taken the first bet on us if Elijah had not. Yeah. That, well, you know, it always comes down to um, what is the old saying about luck and perspiration? You know, it, you make your own <laughs> luck in this world and um a lot of that is simply by seeing opportunity and hardship and that's and working your back you're working your backside off so and I, i've known you for a good deal of this struggle uh, honestly i'm trying to remember how soon after you guys started i met you but it, i think it was pretty soon actually a year uh, a year so a year in yeah I, I think i connected with right you connect with glenn and i, I think the first time and i mean we- keep in mind Go ahead. Sorry about that. 
Oh, no. What I was going to say is like, keep in mind the first year or the first four months, we didn't sell a customer. I remember when Connor Ludlow on our team sold our first location. I mean, we were like bouncing off the the moon. It, we were so excited. And so that first year was an incredibly slow grind. Absolutely. And I know you guys went through some scaling problems and um, came out of the other side of much, much better service, a much healthier company overall. Yeah, I mean, there was, it's so easy to think your product scales, but you really have to meticulously think out the training of your staff because it's very easy to run a company where you have 10 or 15. No, it's not very easy, but it's different to run a 10 or 15 person company. And today we have over 250 employees. Absolutely. And I mean, the, the training and the systems and the quality control that we have that allow us to perform at this size are completely different than when we were at 10 and we had to figure those out by failing forward. I, I wonder, do you guys make a, a lot of use out of LMSs? It's LMSs and CRMs are one of my areas of big research right now. Learning management system? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So now, yeah, we use something called Talent LMS for our LMS system. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm actually helping to write one for my wife's practice. She um, she sold part of her practice to the veterinary um, version of a DSO. And because her practice is so very successful, they said, hey, how do you train your people? Can you help us? And so she's sitting here boggling and thinking, well, how am I going to train all these people at all these different offices? And so I, I brought up the LMS system. And that means now I have to do it. <laughs> so are you getting pretty far, far into the code world? Are you more product managing the development of this or kind of what's your right, right now? I'm that? still looking at the different LMS systems to determine which one is going to be the best to play with. I, I've got a little server uh, form set up over here so that I can, try different systems on different servers. I've got three servers actually in the back room behind this door uh, to, to actually test different LMS systems to see how quickly I can implement things and see if I can break it. Because as I push it out to scale, um, it's going to be, you know, about 150 practices. I want to make sure that, you know, the decisions I'm making uh, so far as end user licenses are correct. Um, do I really need, you know, 15 seats per client or do I need one seat per office, you know, and can I manage certificates for each one of those people? Can I export the certificates into their personnel files for the office so that they have proof of training so that they can do write-ups legally and correctly? And, you know, there, there's a lot of different things that are going into it right now. I'm kind of just sketching out the, uh, the wireframe. I see you're nodding. So I, I'm guessing, I'm guessing I'm not too far off on my, on my track, my approach. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it, it, LMS is actually at scale and especially the, uh, the number of employees DSOs have is essential. A lot of franchises operate really healthily off well-built LMS systems. Chick-fil-A probably is your best of the best. Right. So um, brings us to today, man. Um, with with CallForce, how many, how many offices do you guys service these days? Uh, over 1500. Over 1500. So, 
I, I can't even, I don't think I'd want to walk into that call center with all the number of phones going off and everything. I'm guessing they go off in the ear, ear, because <laughs> otherwise that'd be a, a rather cacophonous uh, uh, place to enter. It is, a, it's, a, it's a lot of moving parts and we try really hard. This is a tangent, so I apologize. But we try really hard to do everything to not make it a call center. Right. Because if we can enrich the people around us and invest in them, then they stay and they invest in our customers more. They treat our patients better. And so we do everything that we can to build really healthy teams, to invest in our team members. We have a lot of people and we have a lot of phone calls, but from an internal perspective, we do everything not to create that call center feeling for the benefit of us. Cause I don't want to work in a massive call center. And also, I believe that that trickles down to our offices and their patients. I, uh, I would have to agree. Uh, it's, it's one of the things about your philosophies that I've all, always admired. Um, you, you knew what you wanted to create, and you knew that you wanted to make something different. And it's one of the reasons I've always been really proud to know you, man. Hey, well, it's been a you guys have done amazing stuff as well. Keep in mind, you guys have been killing it. Well, yeah, I just do what I do. But so right now you guys, are releasing, <laughs> um, you're releasing a couple of new uh, products actually, or new services that go along with your, your whole, you know, answering phone calls whenever the front desk is missing them kind of thing. So what are you guys, uh, what are you guys doing right now that's new? Yeah, so I guess the premise of everything that we do at CallForce is centered around the idea that a practice that does a million dollars a year has more potential than just a million dollars a year because you're missing phone calls every day, you're not appointing all of your treatment, you have unscheduled treatment, you have attrition of patients. And so our services, or as we choose to call them solutions, are meant to make your practice more efficient and effective and for the patient to be treated better and the dentist to make more money because of it. Absolutely. And so some new services that we've reached out recently are, so we started with recall, overdue patient recall, right? and then we moved to an answering service. And then after that, we decided, okay, only 9% of dentists have a website, website chat. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting because usually there's five to seven and doc, you're going to have a better answer here. What's the average number of team members in a practice? Oh goodness. I, <laughs> it depends on the size of the, the size of the practice, but I would say average there's two front desk workers um, on shift at one time, one assistant per chair um, and uh, treatment presenters. So you're looking at anywhere between five and 15, depending upon the number of chairs you got in your practice. Them. And what's interesting about that is you didn't say there was anyone to manage the live chat. Now, that right. just doesn't happen because the practices are, are usually at a, a lean operating size. But what happens is dentist offices are not built to be able to take and handle chats like they do phones. Right. Just because the front desk team members are so strapped and pulled in so many different directions. So we also manage the chat, we schedule for the chat. And the way that we see this going is people go to call force, not because they do a mediocre job at answering the chats. It's we would rather send our chats to call force because they are so darn good at interacting 
and scheduling our patients. Absolutely. I remember whenever, um, and then the final service that we have. So, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go for it. I was going to say, I remember, um, whenever you were just about to launch this, um, we met up for the first time in person, uh, over at, uh, Nathan Ho's win-win dental summit, his first one that he ever had, I think, I think. And uh, you said, Chris, I'm so excited. We've got this new web chat thing. And I said, ah, web chat, everybody's doing that. But you guys <laughs> have really done a great job with it. You know? And so your, your third service that you were about to talk about. So that that's our third service. And then our fourth service, and what I think is going to be long-term, one of our bigger home runs is unscheduled treatment calls. So going in, finding that you're finding your patients that are overdue or no on, on your unscheduled list right. and actually researching them, looking at the remaining maximum on their insurance and then calling in an hour when someone's likely to be home Absolutely. and getting them on the schedule. And the office only pays us if we schedule them. It's, you know, it's one of those things where, and that's, I think we actually talked about doing that for my practice. I'd love to do that, but it's one of those things where um, my, my, team members, they're responsible for making 20 calls per day or more, and, and they do it. Now, the other day, one of them said, well, doc, I really need to make some extra money. Can I come in on a day when we're off and make calls? And I said, sure. Which day do you want to come in? Oh, well, I'll come in Monday from nine until five. I said, no, no, you won't. She said, well, why? I said, what is your response rate on calls that you make during the day? And she said, well, you know, like one out of 20 or two out of 20 will answer. I said, okay, so why would I pay you all day long to come in and make those calls? If you want to do those calls, you need to come in on a Saturday or you need to come in after four o'clock and make calls until nine, because that is when people answer or you need to come in in the early morning. But whenever you call people in the early morning, a lot of times they don't answer or they get mad. And so that means that you're going to have to come in after work. And so a solution like yours keeps my team from having to, work late to get people on the call on, you know, because let's face it, people see their dentist office calling during the day, whenever they're at work, not really often they're going to answer that phone. And here's the crazy stat, Chris, is during the day, it's like a nine to maybe 12, 13, 14% answer rate at night. We get between, uh, between a 29 and a 31% answer rate. So we are more than twice as likely to get patients on the phone. Absolutely huge. You know, one of the, um, one of the other things that, um, that we should definitely talk about is what is your success rate at conversion? Yeah. So this is a good question. We hover between a, I'd say on average, we're about a 36% conversion rate with okay. patients that we speak with. All right. That's pretty. And that's on an, that's on an, outbound side. Right. So the ones that call you back, obviously you're going to have a higher percentage of, of calls there. So I, I have wanted to share a story with you and I haven't chatted with you in a while, but um, you know that I partnered with a, uh, with a company MB2, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. So it was interesting. We were looking over um, call volumes and things like that the other day in this program that they use called Jarvis that monitors everything in the practice. And um, I saw that we had three unanswered calls during one day. And I was like, well, how's that possible? So it turns out after I researched them, 
that every single one of them was one of those 1-800 numbers that calls you and then hangs up. Uh-huh. So I thought that was kind of neat because it made me think about the fact that it's been so long since I've seen an unanswered call on my lines. And I think that's a significant epiphany, at least on my part, because I know that most offices miss what percentage of their calls? 32%. 32%. So your 32% conversion rate on your calls that you have outbound (laughs) is actually really powerful when you consider that the dental office is missing 32 calls. And that's not even with them making 20 outbound calls a day like my team does. And the reason my team can do that is because if they're on the phone with someone and it rings, it gets answered by call force. Exactly. And our goal again there is to put new and existing patients on the schedule. And let's actually look up how the conversion rates for your office have been just for fun. Absolutely. All righty. Winning smiles in Alvin. Can you still hear me, Doc? I can. Awesome. So just since the beginning of October, and I'd like to highlight something here, that Doc's staff does an amazing job. So the average practice rolls through a little over 100 calls a month to us. Between October 1st, And October 12th, Doc's team has only sent 11 phone calls to us, and four of those have become uh, appointments for the office. And two of those are new patients for the office. All right, so it's about a 36% uh, conversion rate or so. It's not too bad. And so it's a good question. I'd actually say more um, because I'm looking through some of your notes here. You've You've had two suppliers call other times. Um, You've had two other people calling for a specific uh, team member. And then one of them actually is calling to make a treatment appointment. And we don't schedule treatment on our answering service side because the complexity of the office needs to be known a little more. And then again, we have company, a company. Yeah. Treatment, you just, so on our treatment side, we actually bring in ex-treatment coordinators from the office who then manage a small pool. And Mm -hmm. before they're calling, they're actually looking, okay, where can I put them in? What are notes on this patient? And so that we're scheduling them correctly. It's a very delicate process to schedule work for the doctor outside of the office. Yeah, absolutely. I'd I'd, I'd say there's a a lot of... um... It's a minefield. We'll just put it that way. Um, so, Corey, is there anything else you want to cover today? Um, we, you, I, I want to chat with you when we get off, but um, is there anything else, yeah. else you'd like to cover about anything you guys are doing? Or, or do you guys have any specials that you're running that you'd like people to know about? Well, this is, we're not running this, but we're about to. So sorry to our entire marketing team and sales team. Um, but if anyone does want to reach out, say the Dear Doc podcast sent them. We're going to offer $200 of free service. We're no setup fees. We're no contracts. We're not into that baloney. Um, 
And second of all, right now people are seeing lower hygiene production or just more gaps in their hygiene schedule than usual. And so it's very important to work your overdue list because what you don't want to do right now is have a dip in your hygiene schedule and see another micro dip in another six months. So fix it now, fix it properly, get people back on the schedule, have your team members making 20 calls a day or use call force, fix that. And then you won't continue to see the ramifications over and over and over of a lower hygiene schedule. I, I think a lot of people don't understand when I tell them that the real the real problem with COVID is that a year after COVID is done is when offices are going to be closing because it's going to take that year. That's, that's when they're going to lose the patients. They're going to not reschedule it six months. And if they haven't been sitting there in six months, they're not going to be there in a year. They're going to be looking. Um, it's uh, I think it's going to be a tricky time. So I'm glad you guys are doing all you oh, can to yeah. help the dentist out there. Well, thank you for instilling some trust in us three years ago. And very sincerely, because without the trust of a few people like yourself, Anissa, Glenn, Elijah, we wouldn't have had the ability to showcase and learn and to grow and figure out systems and processes. And it's really cool to be here three and a half years later and look back and say, wow, we can continue to make a difference. And how fun is it going to be in another three and a half years? Absolutely. Well, Corey, it's always great having you on the show. And it's uh, even better whenever I get to chat with you. So thank you very much for, uh, for coming on this morning. And um, folks, you have now spent another hour listening to the sound of my voice droning on. I hope that you've gotten something of benefit out of it. And thank you so much for supporting the Deer Doc podcast. Have a fantastic day and uh, keep listening. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.